remember that as we leave this room, that the name that we remember is the name of Jesus. And at the same time, that we actually learn what humility means to us and what it means to God. So open our Bibles to John 13, 1 to 17. I'm going to read through uh, quite a bit of scripture, then uh, I'll just make some comments around that. But Father, we thank you for this morning. We just want to thank you for gracing us with your presence, for giving us your word. That, Lord, that it sharpens us as your believers, as Christians, your sons and daughters. And I pray that uh, we'll live transformed lives every day, that we would adjust to how you change us, Holy Spirit. And I pray this morning there'll be just another adjustment in what we believe and who we believe in, and also at the same time how we outwork our faith in Christ. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Here we go, reading from... We're going to read from verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, you're going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part in me or with me. Verse 9, then Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Let's go to Philippians uh, 2. As Paul writes to the church of Philippi, just remember the thought that we talked about just then, about the washing of the feet, about Jesus saying that, yes, I'm the teacher, I'm Lord, 
but also I come as a servant. This is Paul writing to the church of Philippi. And I love the fact that Paul writes to them, and every single time Paul writes, he talks with a, his attitude is one of humility. And he says this in verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Everyone say selfish ambition. Or vain conceit, another translation says vain glory. Rather in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Everyone say others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mind, uh, mindset as Christ Jesus, who in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being, in the, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name. That in the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. I love this part. And sometimes we leave this out of church life. Verse 14, it says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing. I think we left it out sometimes, eh? Actually, out of life. But so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine amongst them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Thank you, Lord God. If you write notes, take this down. First Peter 5, verse 5, it says this, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. You of you, you all of you, submissive to one another. Be clothed in humility. Be clothed in humility. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that He may be exalt may exalt you on due time. James says the same thing, in James four six he says, God resists the proud, and gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. 
Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now this powerful text, when you read this, you kind of marvel at the beauty of God's word. But at the same time, it's amazing how God puts this. That Paul looks back and he realizes that that Jesus before leaving, he bows down and he washes his disciples' feet. Now I'm telling you, some of us, we don't like washing feet. We'll probably just stick to our own feet for now. But imagine that, that position of actually humbling yourself, bowing down and washing the things that people have walked on, their past, where they've come from. And what Jesus tells us is this, that as he leaves us, there's a culture he wants to bring to us. And it's part of the kingdom culture. It's humility. But the thing is that we like it when people talk about us. We live in a generation where our whole, the whole generation is about selfies, about how many likes you can get, about how many fans and followers you can get. Because it's a Babylonian culture. It's all about me. It's all about I. iPhone, iPad. It's all about me. It's not about the we. It's about the me. And that's the thing that we need to come back to, that God wants us to get our attention back on him. Because the Bible says that he is the name above every name. The last time I checked, we went singing about how glorious Joseph was. How amazing Vernon is. No, we're singing about how wonderful our Savior is. Our God. Our Jesus. This morning, um, God wants to cultivate a culture of humility in us. Not just in the church walls but out there in our community. If we can live humble lives, we'll be winners. And winners are grinners. The thing is that it's important for us to cultivate that now. And this is the safest environment to do it within the church family. This week, there was an incident that took place. Some of you have seen the video of that incident. You see, I took the church van home because I needed to get an alarm for it. We got a new church van. God, praise God for that. And I took it home. And in my lack of wisdom, I parked it on the grass. And you know when you're training, you never park anything that heavy on the grass. Because when I tried to reverse it on Tuesday, so I can go and sort out the stuff and sort out the alarm and all that stuff, what took place was a whole chapter of pride, of arrogance. There was no humility found in what took place next. So as I got in the van, I reversed it. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm sure it's moving, but it wasn't. Because what happened was the tires kept on going round and round and round and round. So my wife, in her beauty and her elegance, comes out. What are you doing? I'm trying to reverse the van. But you're actually making a mess. It's all right. It's okay. I've got this. Now, anytime, who's, who knows that? When your husband or your wife says, I've got this, there's something going on. So my wife goes, oh, yeah. She stands there, and she just waits. She waits, just waits for that moment. And as I reverse, I'm going, yeah, and I'm thinking to myself, maybe if I do this, it's going to move. And the whole time, it was just, the tread was just going around and around, and it was actually making a bigger mess than what it was supposed to. Oh, my gosh. 
something came out of me. It was the old man I had buried long ago. It was that old man I tried to get rid of. He came out of me. He goes, what's going on? Ah! I got so angry. But the thing was that it was me that did it. But it was everyone's fault. It's your fault for standing there. It's your fault for walking around. Why don't you do something? It's amazing because everything becomes about you. Why don't you help me? Oh, we were. Oh, is that all? And as it got worse and worse and worse, the van had been on my grass for two days. Two days. Oh, so bad. Lydia said it it was so bad. And I remember she told me, you need to go and speak to God. You need to go and pray. I'm a pastor. You don't tell me to pray. I pray all the time. Yeah, right. But then I went and I spoke to God. And in the presence of God, you just become humble. And you just go, it was all me. I need to take responsibility for this. I did it. It was my fault. And I'm sure God was going this. Well done, son. (laughs) You finally got it. (laughs) Next time, listen to your wife. And in that moment, you know, because you're so frustrated, so angry. Don't tell me you don't get angry and frustrated. But the thing is that in that moment, as God, that started to unfold, I realized as I look in my notes during the week, I was speaking on humility, but yet I didn't show that in that moment. I wasn't humble enough to learn from that. And I felt the Father just reminding me, just remember who's the boss. Remember who deserves the glory. And I found myself in that place of, oh man, I've got to get myself right. And I did pray. I did repent. I did ask my wife for forgiveness. So that middle section of last week was, after my birthday, was terrible. I was honestly frustrated. I was angry. We've had kind of that kind of up, up and down week like that. And it's okay, but you need to go to God with some of that stuff and offload to him. God can handle it. He's bigger than your problem. But I didn't realize, no, because when you're angry, everything's red. You're like a bull looking around. You're the problem. You're the problem. And you go, go to the mirror. You're not the problem. You're not the problem. You're okay. You're right. Carry on. Carry on. But in that van story, I was reminded that sometimes in life when pride, I'm going to speak about some of the enemies of humility, and one of them is pride, is that we can be like that. We can feel like we're going somewhere, but you're digging away. You're just digging away. You're just digging away. And people are telling you, hey, you need to. No, we're right. Silence. You're digging away. You're making it worse for yourself. That's why perspective is important. That's why taking on criticism is important. It's so important for your growth. I want to say this to you this morning, that Jesus wants to seed in us a culture that we can cultivate together of humility. That we can learn from each other. Jesus realizes something in his disciples, that as he moves out of the picture, he reminds them, you know, you called me teacher, you called me Lord, but just remember, at work in my life, I just served the master. And what you need to do in our work in your life is serving him. You're not serving me. You're serving him. And his name is Jesus. You know what? This morning I'm going to give you some things that we need to look out for. 
So I'm going to ask for five volunteers. I need a, um, a Vernon. I'll use you all the time. And since you're eating over there, I need you up here. See, pride has a, you can take off your jacket, man, because it's probably easier. See, pride has a family. And if we're not careful, we can invite that family around our dining room table into our household. Now, just leave some of your clothes on, bro. Jeepers, bro. I get, check that on, man. Lid. Pride has a what? Pride has a family. Come here, Pride. This is Pride. Pride is a very happy person. He's happy about himself. Now, one day, Pride gets introduced to offense. They start courting. They start dating. They work together. They're a couple. Pride and offense are a couple. You, when, you, when you have offense, you'll have pride. And when you have a pride, you have offense. So they start going out. And then what happens is this. Henry, can I ask you to come? I need to cover that. Yeah, just. And they have their first child. Their first child's name is Rebellion. But they didn't come today because they don't want to be here. They've got another child, and their name is Comparison. Come on, Comparison. Move here. I'm not sure what you're doing, Comparison. But stop comparing yourself. So offense and pride give birth to things that don't have to be in our lives. One of them being rebellion. Rebellion is another word for witchcraft. It's not this wizard thing. It's actually rebellion against what God's authority is. So pride, offense. They have a, another child named comparison. Because always comparing yourself, thinking you're not good enough. Because, oh, I wish I had that. And then one day, uh, who's a... Oh, Michelle. Come on, Michelle. One day they have another child. And this child's name is, if you want to just put that on. They have a, a five-year-old girl name Entitlement. And then they give birth to another Teresa, is it? Do you want to come? Oh, or Jeff. <laughs> Teresa's like. Now, who wants to be part of this family? <laughs> Take a family photo. Manipulation. This is their family. So, like I said, rebellion's missing because rebellion didn't want to come today. Because rebellion's doing their own thing. But rebellion's part of this family. 
They don't want to be in any photos, nothing at all. They don't want to sit around the dinner table because they don't want to do their own thing. But rebellion is part of this family. So offense and pride start courting. They go out. This is what happens in our lives if we're not careful. When we get pride, we start. If someone hurts us or does something to us, we get offended. And then these two work together. Then what happens is that in our situation, you feel entitled. How dare they? I deserve it. And then you start to compare. Oh, man, maybe I should do this. Maybe I'll do that. Mental manipulation. You try and manipulate the situation for your betterment. And when that spirit outworks in someone's life, they're like, everyone's like going, are you all right? <laughs> it's them. <laughs> it's all them. <laughs> have, you, have you prayed? That's, that's still them. It's all them. And what happens in the situation is that everyone feels sorry for manipulation. No, you just leave it on. Don't be manipulated. Leave it on. And they feel sorry for manipulation because, yeah, you're right. You're confused as well, I know. But manipulation starts to have their way. And these things can be seeded in our lives that shouldn't be in our lives. That's why these things need to be removed in the, from us. And it's easy to do that. Move down there. Okay, you're taking up space, man. Man, you, you are not too far from your father. You took up a lot of space here, mate. But pride and offense, we need to understand that those things can rob us. This is how the enemy robs us and steals from us. Who got offended this week by something or someone? Hands up. My hands up. Some of you are offended this morning listening to this message. You know, on face, Facebook Live, you're probably offended. How dare you? I'm turning off your Facebook Live. I'm not liking your Facebook. But it's important to understand that these things need to be removed because what happens is that these things camp around your household and your family, and then they're giving birth to something else. Something else is not here. They're giving birth to something called unforgiveness. And you get into that place of unforgiveness, it's a dangerous place to be in. Because that thing will hurt you for the rest of your life. That's why God wants us to forgive those who have done unjust things to us. So we can be released from the prison cell that we've kept ourselves in. So we need to do that. And actually, that's why God wants us to be humble. See, the stand there, guys and, and girls. See, the characteristics of pride are this. If you're blind, you're blind and unable to see pride. That means if you're pride and you've got pride in you, one of the characteristics is that nothing's wrong with me. I'm all good. Um, but you did. No, I'm all good. I've just told you I'm all good. You think that you're the complete package. You made it. You've arrived. You're it. And everyone's going, wow. Number two, you're ungrateful. You're ungrateful. If someone says to you, and I'm not saying that the Christian thing that we do is that, oh my gosh, oh, um, oh that was so amazing. Oh, um, I'll just choose a name, Cindy. You sang so well this morning. You're so amazing. And then Cindy comes off, oh, glory to God. Then I would say to Cindy, no, God would sound a lot better than you because you need to say thank you. Because God's using you. 
but it doesn't take away from the glory that goes back to God. But it's easy enough to say, thank you. Hey, thanks for, oh, I've got a flat tire. Thanks for helping me. All the glory to God. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay, then. See, that's pride. It holds us back. Be grateful. Number three, outbursts of anger. Woo! Hey! They happened this week. I don't know where that came from, but it was a lot of bursts of anger. Impatient. You want things to be done now. How come it's not done? It's not, it needs to be done now. Hurry up. Number four, you're a perfectionist. Everything has to be perfect according to you. Someone came in this morning probably and saw some rubbish on the ground and said, it's not perfect. Someone dropped a piece of rubbish. What are you doing? Pick up the rubbish. Perfectionism. Number five, you seek independence. That means in, t- in the word team, you only see I. But apparently there's no I in team, but you can find it. It's somewhere in the A. There's an I there somewhere, and it's hard for you to work with team. So you don't like people working with you because if it's not your way, they can take the highway because it's all about you. And so you get the characters that come into that place where they're leading a team, and then next minute the team is just one person. It's just them. What's the problem? Not the team. It's them. Because apparently it's supposed to be team. You seek independence. I can do this better by myself. I can do this better if I was doing this my way. Number six, you're stubborn in conversation. You know, they get those sessions when you're telling a story and you're about a group of friends and everyone's telling a story. Woohoo, how guys, hey, how's it going? Oh, well. And then you tell your story and it's this amazing story, amazing testimony. And then someone else in the group goes, oh, that's just like my story. Yeah, they happened, the same thing happened to me. And you try and outdo their story and testimony with your testimony and your story because apparently it's better than theirs. Or you cut someone off. Have you heard that when you're actually talking to someone the next minute, I haven't finished. I'm still talking. And you just cut halfway through my story. That person has got a problem with pride. You're a man pleaser. You're the type of person that sits around at midnight waiting for the likes to come in on Facebook. See how many fans and followers you get. People are laughing. Maybe it's happening. You need to repent today. It's not about that at all because your identity is in Christ, not on what Facebook tells you, not on what Instagram tells you. It's in Christ Jesus alone. You're a man pleaser. Don't be a man pleaser. Pride. Has you, has you wanting to please every single person. Oh, that's, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to hurt you. Honestly, don't compare yourself to anyone else. You're perfect as you are. Keep on sinning. Eight, being devastated by criticism. Oh, my gosh. In our Kiwi culture, we have this thing of being told off. If someone tells you, hey, hey, bro, I just noticed that. You know, this shouldn't be happening, and it's, I think it's going to, it's a bit of a blind spot. And they go, oh, no, you didn't. Oh, no, you didn't. Oh, no, 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 no. It's not my blind spot. It's your blind spot because you can't see the thing that God has done in me. It's your thing. 
And the thing is that it's important to get to a place where we are humble enough to say, if someone makes a correction, I can see your viewpoint and I will take it on. I will go home and pray about it and I will adjust according to what God is speaking. But if you're a person that says, no, 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 you must be waiting for someone else. That's not me. You're devastated by criticism. We need to be open to criticism because that's how we can change and evolve and as people and also as, as children of God as we can, and our thinking and also the way we live our faith in Christ. Number nine, pride outworks themselves and they don't listen. So you're not good listeners when you have pride because all the time when someone's talking, it feels like Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 wah. Wah, 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 wah. And then in the back of your mind, you're thinking, how can I answer this long story? You're always looking for the answer while they're telling the story or asking the question when we should be people to say, I want to listen first and we can discuss, but I need to listen first. Number 10, are you teachable? Pride is not teachable. You can't teach pride anything. This is pride. This is not Vernon. This is pride. It's unteachable. They think that their way is the superior way to go. And when you bring a perspective, they go, no, we'll stay. This is where it's at. This is it. You stay up here. Number 11, this is the big one, sarcasm. They sark you all the time. Who's had friends that do that to you? And now that people are using uh, social media a lot, there's a lot of sarcasm that goes around on social media. If you see it, people share it all the time. And young people are getting caught up with that. Even our kids, we just going to be mindful of them. They're not on social media, but even in the environment they're part of and when they go to school and that, they come back with an attitude. There's a sarcasm in them. Oh, no, no, no. In this house, we serve the Lord, and that's not of the Lord. So that's out of here. No sarcasm. If you want to joke about something, don't be sarky. Tell it as it is, or don't even joke about it because it's hurtful for people. Number 12, you want all the praise. You want all the praise. And we've got to be careful about this. Pride wants all the praise. It's all about them. Number 13, you're so defensive. You're defensive about everything. You can't tell me. Who do you think you are? So that matches with teachable. You've got to be teachable. Number 14, you lack in biblical prayer. Why? Because prayer is conversation with God. You're asking God for his hand and his help. So your prayer life is minimal or non-existent. And number 15, you resist authority. And you like being disrespectful. And we've got to be careful about this because it's important that we actually raise up our kids in this that they can live out a life of humility as well. Because we don't want this family around our table. We don't offense. Hands up. Who doesn't want to be filled with pride in their life? Hands up. 
Fantastic. Who doesn't want to be filled with offense in their life? The Bible says it's, it's, it's easier to win a, a fortified city than to win over a brother or sister that's offended. That's, that's fortified city. Whoa, that's pretty heavy. But the important thing is that all of us will get offended. Trust me, in the cafe after this, you're going to get offended by someone. They went past me without saying hi. I was waiting all morning for them to say hi. How come you didn't say hi? I'm just saying. But the thing is that it's important to understand that in this environment, you're going to get offended, but it's how you react that's important. Entitlement, re- um, manipulation, rebellion, obviously didn't want to show up. Who, do, who wants rebellion in their life? <laughs> you don't. You don't. And also in comparison. You know, comparison is a tricky one because comparison will steal your joy. It's a thief. This uh, five, five-year-old boy goes into my wallet and takes what they want. But the thing is that he's a thief. He takes your joy away. When you start looking at other people's lives on Facebook and out there and you think, why can't I have that? And you start comparing your life with someone else's life, that's a dangerous place to be in. It's a slippery slope. Offense is a, is a hunter. They set traps all the time. That's where the Greek word comes from, scandalous. It sets traps for people. If you're not careful, that trap will be set for you in your relationships, in your friendships, in your life, with your family, and also in church life. Thanks, team. Let's give them a round of applause. Thanks so much, eh? You can take it off. You can take it off. Thanks, everyone, for being part of that. But the family that you need to have around your table is the family that humility brings. See, there's a prearranged marriage that took place. God sets up grace with humility. God gives grace to the humble. Humility and grace get married and they give birth to these things in our lives. We need to be outworking some of these things in our lives because if we can, we will stay humble in our view of God and also our view of our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Are we serving? Number one is these are things that we need to give birth in our lives when humility and grace meet. Service, are we serving? How many people tell me in church life that I've been there, done that, I've, been a, I've served in the church? Really? You still have time on earth to keep on serving somewhere. Joy, they give birth to joy. When you're humble, you give, you get access because you're not comparing yourself anymore. You're not actually saying that they, I want that. You're actually so secure in who you are in Christ that that brings joy. You become a kind person. There is peace in your life. And forgiveness becomes easier for you because you're not giving foothold to the enemy, but you're starting to live out in a place where you're humble enough 
You're gracious enough to be forgiving to someone. It will take time. But when you can, if you have the opportunity to forgive someone that's done all to you, done wrong to you, make sure you forgive. It will release you. It will give you peace. You start living in the joy of God. Who's found that helpful? We need to humble ourselves. You know, in the life of the church, in the life of our church here, we need to humble ourselves. We all servants. The foot of the cross is still level ground. The only person that was raised up should be Jesus. I've said this all the time, that we are all servants. Yet we outwork our functions and our giftings very differently. I'm up here because that's a function I play and also a gifting God has given me. But it doesn't make me more important than the person pouring a cup of tea next door. Because our value in Christ is still the same. But our working, outworking of our gift and how we serve is of the similar value. But it's important to understand that because sometimes you think that the guy with the microphone is more value. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Of equal value as the person behind that screen. The person behind that desk. The person that goes and helps the kids in the kids' area. The same value in Christ. Don't ever think of yourself more highly than you ought, the Bible tells us. We are all but men and women, finite beings that worship an infinite God. And it's important to humble ourselves in a place we can say, God, you deserve all the glory and all the honor. Your name is to be lifted higher than every other name. And the Bible is so clear. His name is still the name above all names. Our songs that we sing are not about us as a church, not about me as a pastor. No, no, it's about the name of Jesus. Because it's him that deserves the glory, him that deserves the honor, and him that will be exalted for all eternity. So it's important. We've got to lock that in. Because if we live in that place, we can actually find ourselves finding joy, being kinder, being at peace, but also being forgiving to our brothers and sisters. Today you're going to get offended by someone. Tomorrow you're going to get offended. Wednesday you're going to get offended. Don't let pride come in and rob you. Restore it straight away. Ask God to use you. Let's stand and pray. We felt challenged by that this morning. Hands up. I felt challenged even just to speak to myself. But we need to be in a place like that as a church family. As we grow, everyone plays a vital part in our church family. Everyone is important. But at the same time, there's no less value in what you do. And I want to highlight that so much as a church family. That I pray that every single service you leave here, that it is the name above every name, Jesus, that you go home with. And that you get into his word. And that you speak to him. This is my prayer this morning. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus. And Jesus, we exalt you today, the name above all names. You're worthy to be praised. There's no one like you. No one compares to you. There's no equal. You have no rival. You have no equal. And this morning we say, be glorified in our lives.
Lord, we pray, Lord, that in our lives people will say, you're such a reflection of who Jesus is. But the glory will go back to you at the end of the day, Lord God, because you're the one that we sing about. You're the one that saves us. You're the one that has given us faith to believe in you. You're the one that outworks our lives and writes our lives out as the author of our lives, Lord God. We thank you. We honor you this morning. And we give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Come, let's give them a round of applause. Thank you, Jesus. Honor you this morning, Lord God. In Jesus' name. Be blessed. Go and hug someone, high-five someone, and make sure you say thank you to the person that does teas and coffees next door. Thank you.